Hey, Next on the Teen Nation, thanks for tuning in to this segment of the show. I really appreciate all your support. If you're enjoying the show, please go online to podcastmagazine.com and vote for us in their Hot 50 list. You'll see a tab to vote right there on their homepage. Stay up to date with our guest schedule by going online to nextonthetea.net. I really appreciate you. Enjoy the segment. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf ball. High draw? Check. Low fade? Check. Bump and run? Out of the sander flop shot? Check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better than them all, and that's a new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With a newly redesigned dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit high over the trees, under or even through them, hit TP5 or TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out by going online to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. Okay, now joining me here on Next on the Tee is Dottie Pepper. Let me give you some background on Dottie. She's from Saratoga Springs, New York. Early in her career, at age 15, she won the New York State Amateur in 1981, plus the New York Junior Amateur titles in 1981 and 83. She was a member of the Junior World Cup team in 1981 as well and was a low amateur at the 1984 U.S. Open. She played her college golf at Furman, where she was a three-time All-American and lettered all four years. She won five collegiate tournaments, which is tied for the most in school history with Betsy King and Beth Daniel. Her career stroke average of 75.96 is still one of the top 15 all-time there. She had top five finishes in the NCAA National Championship in three of her four years during her college career, she was named their Female Athlete of the Year twice in 1985 and again in 87. She was inducted into their Athletic Hall of Fame in 1991, and their annual Coaches Award is named in her honor. She was a member of the 1986 Curtis Cup team, turned pro in 88, and won 17 times on the LPGA Tour, including two majors, at the 1992 and 1999 ANA Inspirations. Her winning score of 19 under in 1999 is still the lowest score to par in a major. She had five other top fives in majors while on tour and was a member of six Solheim Cup teams. She retired from competitive golf in 2004. She began working as a golf commentator in 2005 for the Golf Channel and NBC. She's also been in the booth and on-course commentator for ESPN and now CBS. She was inducted into the South Carolina Athletic Hall of Fame in 2008. And it's a great honor having her with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Dottie, thank you for joining me. Chris, thanks. <laughs> that was a lot. You've done a lot. That's why you're in so many Hall of Fame. Oh, I'm just old, that's all. <laughs> uh, that's funny. <laughs> Dottie, I want to start our time tonight by going all the way sort of back to the beginning with you. I know your father, Don, played baseball in the Detroit Tigers system, had some really good seasons. For their double A and triple A team, hit 302, 19 home runs in 1966, was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, March 11th edition in 68 with Johnny Bench and a few other great rookies to watch that year. Talk about your dad and growing up in a sports household. Well, it was a very competitive sports household that, as you can imagine, I grew up in. And, and going back to Sports Illustrated, I, I to this day give my dad the hard time that he may have gotten the cover. But I got the byline because I wrote for him for about five years. So, <laughs> you know, the, the needles are always out. <laughs> always out. But, you know, my dad laid, laid a great foundation for me as a professional athlete. Um, 
partly because of some of the things he felt like he made uh, mistakes with and partly things that he um, he just knew his kid as a super type A personality. So I, I was um, I, I was one up at the turn, let's say that, on, on a lot of people just because of what my dad did and, and how he did it. And Dottie, I read that you were a skier at a young age and it was actually your grandmother who got you started in golf. Talk about that. It was. It was my, my dad's mom. Uh, so it was all on that side of the family. But the skiing was actually uh, on my other side of the family. My family's now entering the 81st year of um, the Alpine Sports Shop here in Saratoga Springs. My grandfather built the building and uh, they've owned the shop for, I think, 65 or 70 of those 81 years. So the skiing's on one side of the family. The golf was on the other uh, and I came out somewhere in the middle doing both. And, uh, yeah, it was my grandmother on my dad's side that, uh, was the player. I mean, she, she was at her best about at eight and recognized that it was an opportunity to spend some time with her granddaughter. And, and I loved it from the, from the very beginning, had a, had a series of five lessons from a journeyman PGA professional that we used to come through this area, uh, to give me some golf lessons, but also kind of playing the ponies in, in August or a tug of being, the hot spot of of uh, horse racing in in July and August in 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 the international sports world, and I, I loved it. And we've gradually moved on from there. And uh, she was she was at the very very start of it. And Dottie, at age fifteen, you win the 1981 New York State Am, which is amazing for a kid of that age. And I imagine you're playing and beating women at least twice your age <laughs> along the way to that victory. What do you recall about that event? Uh, I recall my my parents saying, "Oh my gosh, she's got a chance to win! What the heck are we going to do?" Came out of <laughs> came out of the blue. I'd never even I'd never even entered the championship before. I I had played in two juniors the year prior. I I had lost in the final to Jamie Deweese from Oak Hill, and you know it was in Rome. And the rule was if if we could drive, we could play. So we found um, on the camp spite camp base had my grandfather's. Winnebago and away we went and I kept winning matches <laughs> and, and I, and dad was, dad was still working. Uh, well, still working now, but he was working and he, he came back out Friday because I had reached the, the semifinals and he's like, well, heck, now I got to go home. I got to feed the dog, feed the cat. And now I'm going to come back on Saturday. <laughs> so, you know, it was a couple of, it wasn't very far away, but you know, never, nobody really uprooted anything because they didn't think I'd get very far. And sure enough, I went all the way to the final and won. And a few years later, you decide to attend Furman and play your college golf down south. How does a girl from Saratoga, New York, decide to play her college golf at Furman in South Carolina? Uh, by writing a high school uh, guidance counselor letter to Clemson, of all places. Uh, you know, the old drop matrix printer, when you threw in the, the various fields that you were in, interested in, and it was going to... Regionally, I wanted to be south of the Mason-Dixon line because I knew I had to get someplace where I could play some some winter golf. I uh, wanted to be in communications, four-year school, and out popped Clemson as one of the options. So I wrote my my letter, you know, kind of pitching my my sort of playing career, and they didn't have a women's golf team. But the coach there sent it to the golf coach at Furman, and that's how I ended up there. It, was, it came down to... TCU and, and Furman, and thankfully, uh, ended up where I was because it was, for me, the best place that I, that I could have ended up. It was an opportunity to get a, a worthwhile, usable 
achievable four-year degree, a uh, golf course on campus, as it still is now. Didn't have much of a practice facility then, but we sure do now. And I just, for me, it was the, it was the right place, the right size, the right focus. And you know, I'm, I'm a big-time supporter of the Paladins all the way through. So you win five golf tournaments during your collegiate career. You helped the team win several team events. Talk about, you know, the time there. What was the most fun that you had while you were at Furman? Well, all three or four years we were in contention for the national championship. That's that's always fun. And on graduation day, we lost by a shot to San Jose State. Um, gal by the name of Ann Jones from Australia sculled a shot in the hole at the 18th hole at the, at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. And we ended up losing by a shot. Thought thought the putt that I made at the 18th hole for birdie was going to send us into a playoff, but there was no live scoring. And it turned out the skull, skull shot into the hole by Anne <laughs> was the shot that, that made the difference. So you know, we had four seniors and a sophomore on that team. So it was a, a happy day because all four of us had graduated. But to come up short, one short from the national championship after the 78 team that had Beth Daniel and Betsy King on it had won the national championship was a little little bittersweet. Let's fast forward a little bit to 1984 and the U.S. Open. You were the low amateur that week. Overall, you finished tied for 22nd. What was that week like for you? It was a world changer for me because it got me into all the top-level amateur championships, um, including the amateur that year at the Broadmoor in Seattle. And it was a foot onto the 86 Curtis Cup team. It, it changed a lot of things for me because it opened doors and it was, you know, not very far away. I, I couldn't have played. I couldn't have afforded to play if it was on the West coast, but it was in Salem, uh, Peabody, Massachusetts, which continues to be one of my favorite golf courses ever. Donald Ross classic. Um, it, it just, it changed, changed everything for me, but it also made me realize how difficult it was, how hard I worked to just achieve a tie for 22nd, I missed by a one shot of being automatically qualified for the year, for the next year, flipped out a birdie putt at the last. Um, but you realize they weren't playing for a whole lot of money and you're working really hard. So it reinforced to me that I needed to stay in school and get a degree in case things didn't work out as, as they did, ended up working out. And Dottie, you get your first win on the LPGA tour at the 1989 Oldsmobile Classic and a playoff over a, a, another firm and legend you just mentioned, Beth mm-hmm. Daniels. You would beat her again in a playoff a few years later at the Sun-Times Challenge. What was it like beating the person whose footsteps you were following in at Furman? Kind of have to block that out. Uh, because, yeah, you, you know, when you're in the clubhouse at, at school and there's always the standards that you compare your, your progress to. And, and Beth and Betsy and Sherry Turner, uh, Cindy Farrell were all the, the players that, that were up there that you just, well, I'm, I'm trying to do what they did. And I think my first one was particularly particularly memorable because it, it didn't even end on Sunday. We ran out of daylight and had to come back and finish the playoff on Monday. So that was that was pretty wild stuff when you think about having to sleep or not going to play extra holes against someone you had looked up to so for so much of your life. Dottie, you get your first major championship at the 1992 ANA Inspiration back when it was uh, the Nabisco Dinosaur Classic, and you... You beat Julie Inkster in a playoff, but it was sort of a wild finish. Julie had a one-stroke lead over you and Patty Sheehan going into 18, which was a par five. Patty hits it over the green and you know with her third shot, and, and it doesn't factor into the playoff. But Julie sticks it in there, I don't know, 10, 12 feet, and then you step right I up after her, and you hit it to, what, about 
What's that? And, and she left the birdie putt short. Right. She is at 10, 12 yeah. feet. You, you come right up and you hit it inside of her to about four feet. Give it a little fist yep. pump as you go uh, up towards the green. And, uh, yeah, take it from there. So I, it was a off, off the left half of the hole, uh, slightly uphill putt. And Julie had left her birdie putt short. So off we went to the 10th hole. And, and Judy hit, Julie hit a poor shot there off the tee. And I, I made a routine two-putt par from about, I don't, know, I don't know, 15 feet or so. And, uh, so this is, this is the, the, the bar time bet that you'll, you'll, uh, probably win if you, you'll say, well, Dottie Pepper won dinosaur twice. Well, she must have gone in the lake twice. Well, I didn't because 10 is landlocked and <laughs> I didn't have to dive the first time, but I went in the second time. <laughs> but don't sell, don't sell the, uh, the putt on 18 you had to make, you know, don't sell that short. I mean, you're standing over one of those knee knockers, I'm guessing. You know, like I say, about four feet that you still had to make for birdie in order to send it to the playoff. I mean, Julie could have won it with the birdie that she left about an inch short, but you're still standing over not such an easy putt. What was going through your mind? How'd you kind of collect yourself and make that putt? Um, you just kind of, you just pick out a spot and you know, you're not, you're not even at that point, you're not even thinking you're, you're the only thought in your head is find a way to make the putt and don't accept anything else but that. And. That's what happened. You had to go in, you will it in, and, and and you move on. And like you mentioned, you come back seven years later. This time, you win by six strokes over Meg Mallon. You had three brilliant rounds after an opening round 70. You shoot 66, 67, 66 to essentially blow away the field by those six strokes. But was it easier the second time around? I'm not so sure. It was all that much easier. I mean, I did have a three-shot lead going to the last day. and. As, as Judy Rankin said that, that day when they came on camera watching the show after, she said, you know, a three shot lead and she's correct can be a lot if you're playing well and get off to a good start, but it can, it can be terrifying if you don't get off to a good start because now you've, you've put everybody back in the, in the field. Unfortunately, I did get off to a good start, but it was, I think the tone was really set in the third round. It played with Meg as well on Saturday and. It was just really good golf by, by both of us. Kelly Robbins was the third person that was in that, in that final pairing, final grouping. And it, it became just a count punch, counter punch. And I remember standing on the 17th tee on Saturday and just said to myself, you will not be the one to blink. You will not be the one to blink. And I just refused to let my foot off the gas pedal. And yeah, I, I hold out a couple of shots throughout the week. I hold a, a, a third shot at nine for Eagle, uh, ended up pulling out at at 16 in the final round for Eagle, which, you know, the, the tournament was essentially in my pocket by then, but that was sort of a, just an exclamation point. But I, I just, I, I came in, in really ready knowing I was playing well for that, for that particular major championship. And it, it, it lived up to everything I had hoped it would be. Dottie, talk about making the transition from being a player on the LPGA tour to then carrying a microphone and commentating on it with, broadcasting something that you studied and you trained for did it come naturally to you was it tough navigating the minefield you know calling what you saw and being critical of some of your former peers what was that like for you uh it was something yes i always wanted to do that was my that was really my my plan b if i wasn't to have made it on work yes to made it on tour to, to have played well enough to call it that my career but i, I had a great tutelage from, from Judy Rankin and, and people like 
like Mike Tirico, but I, I think one of the most formative people early in my career was Tommy Roy, this producer, that's still the head producer at NBC Sports. And Tommy's philosophy was that you've earned this because you've paid your dues, you've hit good golf shots, you've thrown up on yourself. Talk about golf the way you know how to play the game, and the microphone does not know whether you're male or female. And it was that sort of mentality that freed me up from the very beginning. And it was also a philosophy at NBC that Johnny Miller's mic was always open, whether it was on, well, I sat beside him when it was a women's tournament, but when it was the guys' tournament, Johnny's mic was still always open. And Tommy was a believer that as a walker, if you had something that you didn't agree with that Johnny said, you talked about it. If you backed it, you had your homework done and you believed something and knew it to be true, then you go ahead and, and you can go against Johnny. And I thought it made it made for great television. It, it freed me up. It gave me, I think, a self a bit of self confidence and also instilled the value of doing homework because you didn't always agree with what Johnny said. Now you worked at the Golf Channel with uh, a good friend of the show, Keith Hirschland. Right? So it was sort of a six degrees of Keith Hirschland with you and John Mahaffey joining me a, a little bit later. But yeah, talk about right. uh, your time there at the Golf Channel and working with Keith. So I worked with Keith on live shows, and it was, it was I did all all sorts of golf with, with Keith. Um, did everything from men's amateurs to PGA Tour golf to LPGA Tour golf to stuff that was overseas. And we always kind of laughed. He would we'd walk in the trailer in the morning and he'd look at everybody. And he did this to a lot of people. It wasn't just me. He'd look, you're going to wear that on air today. But he always and he always had the <laughs> best socks. Okay, if you're going to criticize what I'm wearing or just be a smart aleck. I want to see your socks. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I know you and John Mahaffey are friends, and I'm looking forward to having John Very as part so. of the show here in a little bit. Talk about your yeah. relationship with him. Well, John John sat side by side with Brian Hammond, who I came through the Golf Channel and Keith Hirschland's tutelage with for, for years. And that's really how we became friends. We've gone back and supported Brian's golf tournament back in Indiana and John is just one of the great souls in in all of golf and he has I, I think so many more stories and so much more value to bring than anybody's ever appreciated. I just I always have a soft heart soft place in my heart for John Mahaffey. I just love him. And I think most of us look at someone broadcasting the game and being on T V as living sort of a glamorous life. But you're living out of a suitcase thirty two weeks a year plus I'm sure hundreds of hours of preparation, airports, hotels. Talk about the side of broadcasting we don't see. Well, you described described it really well. <laughs> um, it's it's not really all that glamorous, and I think that's what what people uh, people who haven't made it realize that whoa, that's a lot of work, and it's not it's not easy. I mean, rain delays. We're stay, we're obligated to stay there almost all of it. You think about. Um, you know, studio work. I remember sitting in, in the Orlando studio with Brian Hammond and we're waiting for a champions tour. It was people. Well, yeah, it was the champions tour then waiting for a playoff to finish. They were out on the West coast and sitting there and watching hurricane Katrina barrel into new Orleans and feeling so helpless. So you have these, these moments when what you're doing just seems so minuscule, but yeah, the late nights and, trying to get to flights and having canceled flights and not spending time at home. I think a lot of people don't realize that we have sports on television over the weekends, all the holiday weekends in the United States, because a lot of people 
don't have those weekends off and they're working in sports television. And if I could you know, give props to a lot of people on at every network, that's what I would say. Just people at home, you know, watching sports on, on holiday weekends, it's because a lot of people are out there working for it. And Dottie, we're on the heels now of this year's Solheim Cup. You were a member of six of those teams. Um, when you look at our latest run, we've lost four of the, you know, the last six and, uh, after winning eight of the first 11, talk about your experience being a part of the Solheim Cup and, and what you think the U.S. team needs to do in order to kind of flip things back to the way they used to be. Well, I, I was first Solheim Cup team for the United States in, in 1990 was the last player that was automatically put on the team because of points earned. And I, it was just something that I wanted to be a part of from the very beginning. It was put together in less than six months, and we knew what there was. The Solheim Cup was announced at a May meeting or a June meeting for the LPGA Championship. It was a mandatory meeting for everyone. It wasn't just about the Solheim Cup. But oh, by the way, this is going to happen in November at Lake Nona, and points have already accrued. So you could see everybody going, "Oh my God, what tournaments did I play well in? What didn't I do? What do I have to do to get on that team?" And it was it's it's part of my DNA, and I think. Now they've got to have a little more fire in their bellies, and I think they need to flip flop. When they, if they get it back to the United States, it'll, it'll come back here. I'm believing it. They're going to go back to even years, and so it'll be back here in 24. I really think they've got to free the players up and start with four balls instead of four. Since I sense so much tension and so much uh, just tentativeness in what happens playing foursomes out of the out of the hopper for the Americans, that. Whoever is that captain, I I would just hope they would flip the flip the formats and free the girls up to go play, have some fun, and be intense about it. Dottie, just a few more before I let you go, and I want to take you back to the 2008 uh, U.S. Senior Open at Broadmoor in Colorado. Um, you had a very big furry fan running at you, yeah. which had to be a bit unnerving uh, for you. Do you mind sharing that story? Well, it was we were. In Breaking. We we had known all week long that there was there were bears. Uh, it was a drought that summer, and they had come down off the elevations looking for for more food. And it upended a couple of the snack tables on the first and tenth tees at, at the green. At the, I'm sorry, at the Broadmoor. And we've just been told to be be aware because they'd also gone through the garbage bins in the in the television compound in the evenings. Mom and cubs were there with her. And at commercial break, I hear Gary Koch, who's in the 18th tower saying, God, we're hearing about that. The bear, we're hearing it somewhere on the golf course and he's moving. And I said, where is it, you guys? And I, I was out there with with Langer and Hale Irwin. And I think it was on a was, I think it was on a Friday. I think it was Friday. But it was definitely 2008 because the Olympics in Beijing were going on. And I just said, guys, where, where is that bear? And they like, oh, it's, it's over. It's like three holes for me. and going out in the opposite direction. I was like, oh, fine. Well, we get in the next commercial break. And I turn to my right, and this bear is coming across the across the slope, charging directly at me. And I and I, I just remember saying, "You guys, you guys, it's the bear." And I, I remember them telling me, "You don't, you don't run." So what do I do? I drop my yards book and I run. <laughs> and then I froze because I remembered that I wasn't supposed to do that. <laughs> and Roger Maltby, being the smart owls of all times, when we got when we got into the next commercial break, he said. So I have a red red top on and a white pair of trousers. And he said, boy, kid, that was a bad day to wear white, wasn't it? <laughs> and you're damn right. 
but it was four thirty uh, that night, and I and I don't think it was until then that I realized how poorly that could have turned out. He ducked. He went. He went right. I went left, and he went underneath the the ropes and up further up into the hills. And they did tranquilize him and give him just a little bit of a trip back up the mountain that night. <laughs> wow. Daddy, I read that you've got a green thumb and you sometimes volunteer at the local florist. So tell me about that. What would Better Homes and Gardens see? What would they do an article on you if they came to your house? Uh, they would see that I, yeah, right now I've been on the road a long time and I've got a lot of work to do, fertilizing beds to get them ready to go back to sleep for the winter. But I, it's it's my relief. It's something I've I had a I had a flower garden as a kid and I I just love it. I had friends that owned the Posey Paddler here in town and helped them out when they were in transition from owning it and, and moving on with their lives into retirement now. And, and I, I love it. I love it. But now it's just more my perennial gardens are my focus. And yeah, after getting back off the road or getting back home from being on the road, I realized that I'm a little bit up against the eight ball here over the next month to get things uh, in, a, in a healthy way to be ready to go to winter because we don't have easy winters around here in upstate New York. And Donnie, you've written a wonderful book, Letters to a Future Champion, My Time with Mr. Pulver. Talk about your book. Well, it was released in April. Thanks for asking about it. And it's um, it's a tribute to my, my mentor, my PGA professional. And the, the crux of it is that he taught or reinforced what he taught to me by writing letters and typewritten letters. He was a World War I veteran. And over the course of five and a half years with him, we started working when he was 81 years old. Um, I accumulated over a hundred pieces of, of content from him. And over the COVID shutdowns and breaks and slowdowns and going back to a CBS schedule that looked very different because we weren't really allowed out of our room. Um, when we were on the road, it was all takeout. It was really a, a lot of quiet time. I decided that those letters needed to come out and, and be, be part of what people could understand about my background, but more really about the foundation of, of the game. I mean, he goes back to Seymour Dunn, he goes, he has, he has roots all the way back to the beginnings of the game in Scotland and timeless letters, timeless beliefs, timeless technique. And I just, it, it was that was the time to let those things sort of shine. Self-published. Uh, so I'm doing all of the, my own marketing. I'm doing all my order fulfillment. And it's been a lot of hard work. But I'll, I'll tell you what, when you, when you get a shipment of, well, I started out with about almost 2,000 books end up in my driveway and in my, in my garage and then backed it up with another almost 4,000 because we sold through the first, first run so quickly. One thing I'll never forget is the smell of that book and being just overwhelmed and so proud that I was able to put the things that he believed in. Uh, into such a book in, in such a manner. So, Dottie, tell our listeners how they can get a copy of it. Uh, you can go directly to my website, it, and it just relaunched a couple of weeks ago, and it's as simple as going to dottiepepper.net, dottiepepper.net. Um, again, I, I, I see every order come in. I fulfill everything. If there's a request for a personalization, I do it myself. If there's a box in the in the checkout area, and I usually turn everything around within 48 to 72 hours. So, um, I, I hope people will, will, will buy it. There's a, there's a paperback version, a uh, hundred weight paper that is less than $20, definitely less than $20. So if you got a junior, uh, anybody that you think might benefit from just what we know is so great about the game, 
mentorship, youth sports, it's, it's all right there in 208 indexed pages with a lot of beautiful <laughs> photographs. I had such great help from the PGA of America, from the Masters, uh, from the LPGA. It, it was really a, a really beautiful journey getting, getting everybody working together on this. Dottie, let our listeners know as well, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing? You mentioned your website. How can they follow you on social yeah. media? Yeah, you can follow me on Dottie underscore Pepper at, on Instagram. And I'm also on there, um, on Facebook as Dottie Pepper, the, as it's an athlete page. So go to, go to either one of those and I'll cross reference them. And also on my website, I do a blog. Um, there are other photos that are on there. There's, also, some information about what the book is benefiting. We're spending 10% of all the proceeds to the Saratoga War Horse, which is an organization that uses off-the-track equine therapy thoroughbreds um, to help veterans that come back with post-traumatic stress. Well, Dottie, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of the show. I hope we have the privilege of having you back on again sometime. You're fantastic. Uh, Chris, thank you so much. And give, please, please give John my best. Absolutely. Take care, Daddy. All the best to you and your family. Stay safe. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Same to you. Thanks again. Thanks, Daddy. That's the great Dottie Pepper at Dottie underscore Pepper on Instagram. DottiePepper.net is the website. Go get a copy of her book, folks. I know I am. And when you have somebody who is in as many Hall of Fames, as Dottie is, had such a great career all the way through from college to the LPGA Tour to the broadcasting booth, very similar to my next guest, John Mahaffey. Boy, it's uh, it's a privilege having her as part of the show. Very much looking forward to catching back up with her. I have about three pages worth of questions, so we've just started to scratch the surface of all the great things she's achieved. So very much looking forward to having her back on the show again soon. <laughs> 